0: So I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts, the historical record of the founding of the church of Jesus Christ, a new new time as we move from the Gospels, and the Gospel accounts, the four Gospels, to that intervening record, that historical record of how the church has now been planted as Christ has not only risen, but ascended to be with the Father. And the Holy Spirit has come down to indwell, for the first time to actually indwell permanently, those who make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and are in fact converted, transformed by that blessed call and that wonderful dispensation of grace. So it's been quite a record. We're about to conclude uh, chapter 26 this morning, which will leave us with the two final chapters, 27 and 28. In chapter 27, when we turn that corner, we'll we'll see Paul setting sail for Rome. And many will not see him again as he met with the Ephesian elders and said his goodbyes there, expecting not to see them anymore. So these last defenses that he's making as he's being brought from one tribunal to the next, whether he stands before a raging crowd that wants to kill him or the Sanhedrin that would like to see him dead, or the Roman government who just wants to apply justice and keep the peace, these final words are visceral. They're showing, they're displaying the great heart of the Apostle. He demonstrates not only his love for Christ but his love for his fellow Jews among whom Agrippa, Herod Agrippa II who he's standing before now comes from a line of Jewish kings, the Herods. Quite an infamous bunch of course in their behavior. And so this is his final defense that he's making and it's very much targeted. It's very specific. His gaze as he turns quickly from Governor Festus, the Roman governor who's attending, to Agrippa. His laser-like focus is on that fellow Jew to whom, at least in full body, he loves. He loves his fellow Jews. He would give up his own salvation for the sake of his fellow Jews, as he says in the book of Romans. So, this means a lot to him, and as a result, we get his magnum opus in terms of his defenses. Every word specific, specifically targeted for his audience, which is essentially onefold. Oh, yes, of course, he would hope that the overflow of his apologetic, his presentation of the gospel, would be picked up and used by the Lord in the hearts of those uh, that he would call to the cross of his son, Jesus Christ, to be reconciled. But the one on Paul's mind is Agrippa. And so that's what we see as we've been working through this defense. We're now on the final, in the final passage of chapter 26, we're looking at verse 24 through 32 as Paul is speaking directly to this king and with an audience of not only Governor Festus, but Bernice, who is not only his consort, it is his sister, which gives you some indication of the character of the man. So it makes this a rather interesting exchange because you have a man who favors himself as an expert in Judaism, but yet who is quite debauched, quite corrupt to the core, listening to this gospel. It's just been intriguing for me to go through. And so I hope it has been for you as well, as we're picking up now in verse 24. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. And Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor and Bernice, and those who were sitting with him, and when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Interesting providence of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for these words. May they be treated with the manner in which you call anyone who would proclaim your word to treat it. As they are the words of God. May you send everyone you called to preach down into his study, to go deep and do the exegetical work, and do his best by your grace and calling, to give an accurate, a right rendering of the text, because it is a right rendering of your word that becomes our nourishment. Our hearts grow, our minds are renewed, we are given truth. So, Lord, thank you for this text. Help us to always remember that the true meaning of the Scripture is the Scripture. If we do not have the true meaning, we do not have your word. We desperately need it now. Help us to have hearts ready to receive your word. This we pray in your name. Amen. So if you hadn't noticed just from the text itself Paul is not defending himself anymore. He's presenting the gospel. It's a it's a a notable turn. He's not explaining his background anymore. He's done all of that. He's not justifying who he is he has to say it over and over again when he in fact said earlier they they know me they know who i am they know my background they know who i studied under they know who i have in high regard i went after the people of the way to have them imprisoned and yea, even put to death it had my approval held the coats while they stoned stephen aren't you at least Inquiring about what must have happened with me. We. Well, in Festus's case, he's making it clear, right? You're out of your mind. Some of you may have experienced that with some of your friends or family members. What happened to you? I have. <laughs> it's fun going back home. You're out of your mind. I'm actually not. This is the most rational I've ever been. This is the most reasonable, rational expl- explanation for what we see all around us that there is. So how about we gin up the, whatever remains of that vestige of rationale that is still there in some measure or part that is given to us in the fact that we are image, image bearers of a very reasonable, rational God. Let's look to that. Let's not turn to emotions Let's not try to protect positions like the Sanhedrin is or it'll quickly descend into emotions because then nobody wins, right? The reason is departed. Truth cannot be found out. So Paul is very crafty here. This is where Paul makes his appeal uh, for the gospel's sake to Agrippa. Verse 24, as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, Paul, you're out of your mind. I mean, he's interrupting the proceedings because he, he, he wants this to go in a certain direction, right? He wants this to go in a certain direction. You remember his obligation. He has to fill out a report, Paul's about to get on the boat to go see Caesar, and Caesar's going to say, where's the report? What are the charges? What's he he guilty of? Festus has no clue. They even conclude there, you just saw at the end of the chapter, there's nothing here that is worthy even of imprisonment, let alone death. And Agrippa walks away. What do you like if you're Festus? (laughs) A little apprehensive, to put it mildly. You're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. What is all of this you're talking about that you learn from the Bible and your Bible studies, your commentaries, and you're insane? But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. Still being very respectful, which is strategy, which is important, which is wise, which is what he should do anyway. We're submissive people. We're called to be. I'm not out of my mind. Instead, I am speaking true and rational words. He might add, I finally understand what all of it means before I just zealously persecuted anybody who didn't abide by our highest court in the land, the Sanhedrin, high priest. So Paul's zealous appeal has Festus all worked up, thinking that he's out of his mind, so he just totally interrupts, bursts in out loud This isn't this isn't helpful to me, right? I need to know what I got I've got you've given me no handle to grab a hold of. There's nothing there for me to work with so that I can put it in my my report. So he's trying to jar him out of his senses, it seems to me. Hold it, hold it, hold it. What are you talking about? Well, we could conclude, I think reasonably, that he lost. Festus at the word resurrection remember Festus as a good roman is like you are insane resurrection no you're now he's convinced you are out of your mind and this is a common conclusion isn't it for unbelievers that we try to talk to I remember some of the first times I tried to tell somebody. I was 33 years old when I was converted, so I had a whole history of being a certain person that God was pleased to come and rescue. Praise the Lord. And now, it's different, isn't it? So (laughs) trying to give them the gospel is an interesting task. But we do it because our faith is in the one who has to set that on fire or not. That's his prerogative. Our responsibility is to present the truth. We're to be a witness for Jesus Christ. He made that clear. We're to witness his gospel and let the chips fall where they may. And these days it's getting a bit more challenging, isn't it? So this out of your mind Paul wrote in his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 5, verse 13, and I like the way the NIV puts it, if we are out of your mind, if we're out of our mind, because he must be being accused of this there by those false apostles, those false teachers that had entered into the church, they're saying, you know, this guy's a fanatic, he's insane, don't listen to him. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. In other words, if this is making sense to you, then we're all about you. If it seems like we're out of our mind, it's for the sake of God. But I assure you, we're not. We're not. So it's a common accusation. He's finally lost it. I am speaking true and rational words. He's speaking the truth, and actually, as it turns out, aren't you happy? The truth is rational. It actually is. How else do you explain everything that's going on? You have no explanation. You have to gin up some sentimentalities or emotions or something. It doesn't make any rational sense. Why do people think, do things and believe things that are destroying their life? That's insanity. That doesn't make any sense. And he's right. His words can be verified. They can be validated not only by the scriptures that they all knew well, but by the hundreds of witnesses that saw the risen Christ. 1 Corinthians 15. Many of whom, as Paul says, there's, what, over 500 that saw Jesus and many of whom are what? Still alive, yeah. Why aren't you bringing them in? You wonder about these tribunals that don't bring in the other side. But we won't go there. They might find something out. No, we've got to have this go our way. Festus is saying it's not going our way. You must be insane. There's people you can talk to talk to Gamaliel he was my professor he'll show you no you don't need to do that you know why because you you know what the scriptures say maybe not festus but certainly agrippa he knew the scriptures and this is some years afterward after the christ rose this is some years later so by this time that he's standing before Agrippa, there's been churches that have popped up all around the Mediterranean with these people that they, in a, in a, in a derisive term, they referred to as Christians. So this is, that's why Paul said this wasn't hidden in a corner. He knows about this. Come on. This makes sense. Of Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Oh, now he put him in a tight spot. What can he say? If it's yes, that was clearly the Christ. If he says no, what happens with the Jews? And his Judaism, for that matter. Brilliant. That's brilliant. And he does it with respect. It sounds very respectful, doesn't it? You know, he's the king. He knows what's been going on. This guy understands what's been happening. He knows about all the churches from Antioch around the whole upper Mediterranean, all around the Aegean Sea. I mean, there's many. There's probably, there could be thousands by now that are converted, born-again believers. He knows that. I'm not going to insult him by suggesting he might not know about something like this. It's been around for quite a long time. He also knows the Scriptures. He's an expert in it. So he knows that this, as he looks at the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's why he said earlier, look, why, I, why do you think it's so fantastic that I bring up a resurrection? You know the Scriptures. It has to accommodate some lifestyle of mind to deny these things. Gospel's gospel is the only explanation that makes sense out of all of this madness. Just like the clergyman in Dunblane, Scotland said when all those sweet little children got shot. What do you tell the parents? What do you tell them? If you don't have the gospel, what do you tell them? Yeah, let's keep spawning the lie that people are fundamentally good. That'll help. So damaging to rob people of the very explanation that would help them say, I get it. You see, that was was what happened with me. It's like, oh, this makes sense. You had to get past the, the fact that, you know, anybody in America has heard the story. They know the name. They know some parts of that. and We're going to look at that in a minute as we go to. That ends up being something of a, an inoculation, doesn't it, against hearing the gospel in its entirety because you go in thinking, oh, I know about that already. I'm not, I'm not down with that. I, not for me, for you, you religious folks. Actually, if you think about it, to reject the, the gospel is nothing short of insane. Why, <laughs> turn ye, turn ye, why will you perish, he says through the prophet Ezekiel. Why will you perish? I'm not pleased that anyone would die. Why do you willingly do that? When I've shown you how to avoid it. No, I've done all the heavy lifting. I've done it all. I sent my son to do it. It cost him his life, and he willingly said, I'll go. Why would you do that? Especially since it's very clear that this gospel is a gift. It costs you what? Nothing. We're hell-bent on self-destruction for some crazy reason. It it doesn't make any sense. That's what's insane, Governor Festus. Who's more insane, Festus? Somebody who looks around at this earth and, and concludes that somehow it just happened through some naturalistic, mindless process. Now you're starting to sound insane if that's what you're purporting, if that if, if that's if that's your belief. Doesn't make sense. We just add more time, friends. Let's add another billion years or so. That'll help you. Keep adding years, but let's not talk about the fossil record. Let's not talk about the amazing things that we see in nature that God created. Whether it's the cleaner-ass fish and the saber-toothed blenny that looks just like him, comes up just to cause trouble. <laughs> or it's the bird that flies from Africa all the way to the Burren and the west side of the island of Ireland just to pick on, and I forget the name of the birds, but to to target one particular bird to use their nest to lay their eggs. Okay, Mr. Darwin, with all due respect, sir, what mindless process produces something like that? And by the way, how many bats had to hit the wall before they figured out, "Hey, we got to come up with something here?" And I got a pounding headache. It's it, it that's insane. You have to decide to become insane to embrace that. And as many people have said, it takes far more faith than what we need, doesn't it? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Psalm 19, 1. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host Now you're making sense. There has to be this being. Even the Greek philosophers from from Plato to Socrates, they all believed in the Logos, that there has to be some, some transcendent mind because all of this is just in such perfect order. There has to be. They just wouldn't come to the right conclusion in the who question. Who is that? Paul went to the, Areopagus to tell them, right? This is that, that unknown God. I'm here to tell you who it is. Fantastic. John 1, 3. How about that? All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. If it has life, it is. Why? Because he is Life. He is the breath of life. God breathed into Adam, and he came alive. If he removes himself from anything, from a plant to a man to an elephant, it drops stone dead at that moment. He animates the entire universe and oversees it all. Stars hang in their course because of him. John 1.10, the world was made through him. Psalm 115.16, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of men. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. It takes faith because you and I, Weren't there. God is spirit. He's unseen. So we accept that by faith. But less, listen to me. It's a faith that's rational. Put this up against the theories of man. And it's like, are you, are you kidding me? That's what you actually believe? Big bang, climbing out of ooze. Please. Please, well, we don't care what you think, Christian. We're going to make sure that we get to the youngest ones in your schools. And you're going to have a tough time convincing them it's not true. Well, I don't care because I'm not the one who has to. He does. I just have to be faithful to speak the truth. No, this is the truth. No, this is the truth. No, this is the truth. I don't believe you, I don't believe you, I don't believe you. You're going to answer to the one who is the truth one day. And that's what concerns me in your your case. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Not ooze. Not amoebas, not anything crawling through the muck. Everything that can be seen was created. Every single thing that you can see. And what else? The things you can't. And every reasonable per- person caused, uh, caught in an honest moment will have to confess I sense that there is a spiritual realm. Have you met anybody yet that says, I'm a spiritual person? <laughs> Ask them, what does that mean? They rummaged the storehouse and robbed us of, of our concepts. They only know that there's something called love because God is love. They've taken everything, but the, the, including the rainbow and and several other words, psychology, suke, that's the soul, the study of the soul. That word belongs to us. The study of the soul belongs in this house. It's his, the pillar and support of the truth. Isaiah forty twenty-five to 26, to whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Doesn't that resonate with you? But we've been given to be able to allow that to resonate with us because he had to make our hearts alive. And it makes perfect sense. You can't look at the order of things and the function of things. As Isaac Newton said, there's mathematical structure to a leaf. You can can know that there's a God by the study of the thumb. Oh, that's not good to hear. Do you know why? Because that means it's willful rejection. They're willfully... oh. Now I'm in Romans 1, aren't I? Yeah. Because that which has been made evidence, that which is made seen, they willfully know and reject. Jeremiah ten twelve, It is He who made the earth by His power, who established the world by His wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. There's Romans 1, 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them. It is. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. This couldn't possibly exist without a creator who has the power and the immeasurable brilliance and wisdom to put it all in an orderly fashion. Of course, we're hastening to muck that up as we destroy the place we live in. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are what? Without excuse. And why does he pin them in a corner like that? You're without excuse. Why does he do that? Because he loves them. He loves them so he speaks truth to them. You can't excuse yourself for dismissing God as creator, as sustainer, as almighty judge who you know you'll stand before one day. You need to see that. And it's out of love that I say that. Don't reject that because I care about you. So let's look at this gospel presentation. This is the gripping gospel that fails to grip Agrippa. I did that just for you, Charlie. No, <laughs> That's, that's the only reason that's in there. <laughs> or, <laughs> more rationally, the danger of the willful ignorance and the pride of partial knowledge. That's what we're seeing here. With Festus and Agrippa, and perhaps a number of others in the crowd there, there's danger to that, to... Notice willful ignorance, to remain that way is a choice, or partial knowledge, growing up with bits and pieces of something so that you get glazed over by it, so it doesn't impact you anymore. Verse 26, for the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. Razor focus. Completely says, I'm done, most excellent Festus. You're just completely wrong. I want to talk to him. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. He's being respectful and truthful, isn't he? But strategic. There's nothing in the Bible that says you and I can't be strategic. Nothing in the Bible that says it isn't wise to consider your audience and be respectful. But tell them the truth. Don't withhold anything. Listen, they're dying. They're willfully dying. Don't let that happen on your watch. Speak the truth in love to them. And if they slap you, they slapped your Savior. If they punch you, same thing. If they crucify you, so did they, our Savior. So, verse 27, King Agrippa... Do you believe the prophets? Oh, checkmate. <laughs> King, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. You're, you're a Herod. Your mom was all into the Scriptures. She knew them well, and she taught you well, and you know the Scriptures. This is a moot point, but out of respect, I'll say it. You, you, you believe the prophets, right? Right? I mean, it's like somebody saying to you as a Christian for many years, you know, you believe what the Scripture says, right? Well, yeah. But what if it puts you in the worst of positions because you're actually sinning? Now you got a conundrum, don't you? Yeah. This is intentional. I know that you believe. So here he is. He's not going to challenge the beliefs of the prophets. He's not going to challenge that. This is a an emphatic statement that he's making here. So we know that Paul knew that Agrippa knew, but it didn't grip him. It failed to grip Agrippa. He made this statement Obviously, with full certainty. And and he must be certain because what we would have seen happen right after this, if he didn't, if those things weren't true of Agrippa, we would have seen Agrippa rise up indignant and repudiate him, wouldn't we? Notice, he does not do that. He's not repudiating him. And if the folks that you and I talk to about the gospel are honest with themselves, they can't repudiate this either. You stand on the truth. That tr- transcends all of us. That's the rock you stand on. If they repudiate you, they're lying to themselves. Not just you. They're lying to God. God. But it's interesting when you compare this to Festus's response. His response is shouting, he's loud, he shouts it out. You're you're crazy. You're out of your mind, Paul. Get a hold of yourself, man. You've been doing too much studying. That, that can actually make you a little insane. I uh, right? Yeah. Barbara knows that. Uh, get out of that study. Get some air. Sometimes she'll come and get me. she say, i got to air you out. <laughs> Let's go for a walk. No. It's like Paul said to the Corinthians, if you think I'm out of my mind, I understand that, but it's for God. And, and if, you, if you make sense out of what I'm saying, it's for your sake. So Agrippa with his vast knowledge of Judaism. Yet it didn't work to his soul's advantage. It's, it's, it's at the same time willful that he'll have to answer for and this, at the same time God didn't turn the lights on. It's something that is difficult for us, if not impossible, to reconcile in our mind. He will be held account- accountable. He can't plead ignorance. No, you know the truth. It's willful ignorance. He has no response, no argument back. Well, wait a minute, Paul. He didn't even misquote Scripture. He didn't even try. He just walks away. This is remarkable. But more stunning to me really is the thousands of people today that know these things and walk away. Because you know what? We've been given far more than even the apostle had. We've got the new covenant. We have the new Testament. We're working through literally the truthful, historical founding of the church itself. We know how all this ends. If we have the right eschatology, but let's not go there. So it's not a matter of a certain amount of knowledge. It occurs to me. Because we have a lot. And in this country, we have a whole lot that's been given to us. It's not hard to get a Bible, is it? There's people, houses will have three, four Bibles, untouched, often, collecting dust. But see, that's what I'm talking about when I say the danger of partial knowledge. And in Agrippa's case, willful, pretending he doesn't know. Those who possess partial knowledge of the gospel yet reject it are far worse off than those that do not. Partial understanding of the gospel leads to passivity in the pew. That's those friends that you bring in to the church. Well, just come to church, just come to church. And they come to church with you. But they've heard a lot about Christianity. They come in having some sense. Rarely will you find somebody that's, who? Who? I've never heard of that before. That's fascinating. No, they've heard. So now what? Well, it ramps up the obligation, doesn't it? This partial understanding makes people numb in the pew. It makes them glaze over. There are many who have been... exposed to bits and pieces of the gospel all their lives, and they remain unmoved. You know that. Doesn't matter. I already know about that, they might say. Or maybe if they're trying to be respectful toward you, they won't say it, but they're not moved at all. You didn't move the needle at all. I already knew this. That's that's our challenge, isn't it? It's like, no, you this you need to hear this. There was one preacher back in the 18th and 19th century that said, I believe that there is nothing that stands more in the way of hundreds of people coming into real and intelligent contact with the gospel truth than the half knowledge that they have had of it ever since they were children. You fancy that you know all about what I can tell you. End quote. That may be true somehow. Maybe maybe you do know everything that somebody's going to tell you about when they give you the gospel, but have you not grappled with its specificity and its personal nature? The fact that this applies personally to you, this should convict you Quite specifically, your creator is a personal being. Your redeemer is a personal being. Our redeemer has a name. Our redeemer walked on this planet. It's a person who's speaking in real time to you with specificity. How does he do that? Through the word preached, the word faithfully sown by those evangelists that go on. I don't know. It's the mystery, but he's God. Have you grappled with that? Agrippa knew all the events of the gospel. This isn't any sincere query that he's making. We, um, many of our people are like Agrippa today, though, aren't they? They don't mind Christians proclaiming broad generalities, but when you start getting specific, now you got a problem. But it's meant to be specific. Guess what? You need it to be specific. I don't... No, I, I, I said I would listen to this. I'll even applaud you if you talk about God. If you talk about His love... If you talk about how he loves everyone, let's just keep it up there. It's general. It's things I like to hear. I can fashion the word love. That's another one that they've, word that they've co-opted, a word that they've stolen, a word that they wouldn't know even to use if it hadn't been introduced into the thinking of mankind conceptually. What, why, where would it come from? They do that with a lot of terms. When you come beyond the vague generalities and it becomes personal, that's when they begin to cringe. That's when they're looking at their watch. That's when they're kind of shifting back and forth. That's when they kind of walk away. And you want to say, don't, don't walk away. When preaching becomes personal, it pierces the heart and brings conviction. What then? What do you do when conviction comes? What do you do when you know that there is a God? What do you do when you know at least this much that you've offended him and are offending him? What do you do if you realize that you have not reconciled by the means in which he's given you to be reconciled? It's free. It's a gift. No, I'm going to keep living the way I want to. But conviction comes. Why? Because he loves you enough to keep bringing it. And you bring it, and you bring it, and you bring it. But you know what happens over time? You get numb. I've heard this before. See, that's the danger of it. I've, I've heard this before. And God, as the biblical terminology would be, gives you over to it. Gives you over to rejecting Him. When preaching becomes personal, that's are we trespassing the heart where we don't belong? Is that what preachers are doing? Get out of my heart. You you just crept into an area. I was good with all the other things that you taught and you preached, but now you got up in my heart. I didn't. Who did? God did. Why did he do it? He loves you. Is he going to let you alone with things that are still aberrant in your heart? No. But all of a sudden... When you go from the things that they favored and drop your gaze, you drop your gaze and you look at the preacher and you say, You are trespassing. Go away. Are you uncomfortable? Is this disruptive for you? Ask yourself that. While I ask you this, did you come here to feel safe? A church, folks, should never be safe. It should be safe for people who are being abused. It should be safe for people who are hurting. That's not what I mean. You know what I mean. It's all the rest of us who are doing fine otherwise. This is not safe. You've known that. True expository preaching exposes not just the text, but our hearts. the aberrations that he finds there. He will dig. He's going to dig. He does it with me. I know he does it with you, but there's a point at which some say enough. That's enough. You're a bad person. Shame on you for trespassing. Go away. I won't. You'll have to. another preacher said, with regard to his preaching, to his congregation, of course, this was a bygone time. You speak like this, now you'll have a very small, almost empty church. What am I here for? If I'm not here to take these broad, blunt truths and sharpen them to a point and try to get them in between the joints of your armor... You're picking on me. What are you here for? I'm not safe. No, you're not. Neither am I. He sharpens his arrow. He sends it down. And he finds that spot, that that spot that I thought was covered. I was safe for so long. How did you find that? I'll break this thing off. I'll dig that point out. Because men go to hell sweating. We prefer our sins. Folks, again, that's insanity. Let the arrow come. He goes on. Can any man faithfully preach the gospel who is always flying over the heads of his hearers with universalities? and never goes straight to their hearts with, Thou art the man. Sit under a preacher who points at you and indicts you like they used to. Knowing in our tender-footed times, Oh, no, you're trespassing again. I'm not trespassing. You can shoot me but it's not my word, it's his. You came here because you wanted to hear from the Holy Spirit. You wanted to hear the truth. I love being bathed with things I already know and that I'm certain of. It makes me feel good about myself. It confirms that I'm on the reform track. I have a all... wait a second. He's looking for that chink in the armor. He'll find that cracked place and in comes his arrow. What are you going to do when conviction comes? I'm going, to, I'm going to talk to that preacher. That's what I'm going to do. I'll tell you right now. And if he won't listen to me, well, this is America, man. There's another church right on down the road. And there they go. You do that enough times, and what begins to happen? You steal yourself against being convicted. It, it's less and less and less. And less and less and less. Till you can't hear his voice anymore. Is that what you want? Do you trust yourself? Did you come here to hear things you wanted to hear? And those only? Better face the truth now, by the way, right? than before you stand before him who spoke it. That's my advice. And I say it with fear and trembling. Inaccurate or insufficient knowledge poses a great danger to salvation than ignorance or indifference. Truths that remain isolated in the understanding and have little to no effect on the will either have not been made complete Or they've not been animated by the Holy Spirit they have to be I remember those days, maybe you do too where the word of God didn't mean anything to me, it's like boy this is when are you going to be done and then you made it alive his arrows became fiery shafts like those missiles the heat seeking missiles no matter where you run it's coming It's coming, and then, pow, right in the heart. And again, why does he do that? Say it. He loves loves you. Because it's what you need to hear, isn't it? Receive it with that rarest of all virtue, (laughs) humility. That's why we talk about pride and its various manifestations. That's why we talk about humility here. Bring it. Bring it on. I need to hear this. I love rolling it out again because I have to go through it all over again, over and over and over. He loves me enough to do that, and he knows just how dense I am. I can't argue with that. If Agrippa did indeed know and believe the truths that Paul speaks of and yet continue in his profligate lifestyle, he's among men most to be pitied, isn't he? He knows all of this, and yet he stands and walks away. Huh. That guy could have gotten off the hook if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. Whatever. What's next? Wow. Really? Oh, it's amazing what we can do when truth comes. It's amazing how we can vindicate ourselves and justify. You have no right to say that to me. You were wrong in how you said it. You weren't quite right. That's not really me. I think you have the gospel wrong. He's among men most to be pitied. If he knows the knowledge of truth, he's known it for a long time. This hasn't been done in a corner. It's been around for years. Hebrews ten twenty six to 31. If this doesn't jar us, nothing will. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Where Are you going to get it from? But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fire fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said vengeance is mine. I will repay and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the of living God. What do, we, what do you do with that? Help me, too. What do I do with that? You know these things. And you've heard them so many times. Whew. Now what? He doesn't have anything more to say beyond this. It should shake us to our core. If it weren't for our what? Pride. The pride makes me want to be my own God and dial religion in a way that accommodates my lifestyle. He's not satisfied with that. He doesn't want a partial heart. He doesn't want you compartmentalizing Christianity. I go to church. I get it. I I know the gospel. How much do the demons know? (laughs) Yeah. The danger of pride of the intellect or position. As we try to wrap up this morning, we got a little bit of a later start. I hope you'll allow us to finish this up. The danger of pride of the intellect or position. That's Agrippa, verse 28. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? I mean, if if that doesn't go down as one of the most arrogant, condescending statements in Scripture, I don't know what would. I'm Agrippa, okay? Herod family, king, the whole thing. He was a vassal king. He He was really almost nothing. But that's the best he can come up with, isn't it? No argument against Paul. Not against the things that he presents. There's no argument against the gospel. Are you a sinful person? Yes. Do you commit sin? Yes. Do you believe there's a God? Yeah. That you'll answer to him? Yes. Only a fool would deny those things. Well, here's the question. The question that is literally inescapable for any human being. What do you do with your sin? Help me. Maybe, maybe I want to get some advice from somebody because it is plaguing me. It's haunting me. It's weighing me down. It's the hand of Almighty God who again, why is He doing it? Loves me. And I can't get up from it. No, you won't. Get thee to the cross, my friend. The only place where the yoke is easy and the burden is light. So he's not contradicting Paul. He doesn't refute him. Notice also, by the way, he uses the word Christian. That, wasn't, that didn't come into full uh, use for a long time. He knew what that was. He knew all about this. He knows about the events of the gospel. He knows this, all of it. With knowledge comes responsibility, yeah? This is no sincere query that he's got going here. No, it's, an, it's arrogant sarcasm. He's ready to split. He's ready to take up and walk away. I've had enough of this. That's the danger of the pride of intellect over against that danger of somebody with partial knowledge. The danger of the intellect and the position is what we see here. He's he's using this sarcasm so he can avoid embarrassment in front of all of these tribunes are standing there. His full entourage is standing there. He's got Bernice standing there. The governor Festus is standing there. Which, by the way, who actually functionally ranks more, ranks higher than he does. I'm not going to let you embarrass me. What do people do when they get embarrassed? When the heat starts coming in and it gets too strong? What happens when it's too hot in the kitchen? I'm out of here, and that's exactly what he does. I'm done here. Intellectual pride, of the pride of position, very often prevents a person from receiving the truth. That's the tragic part of it. That's what we see here. Agrippa is deeply committed to reputation management, isn't he? oh, no, you're not going to do this to me. (laughs) In this short time, you think I'm going to just get on board with you Christians? Uh Uh-uh. I don't think so. Live that lifestyle? No. I'm traveling around with my sister. In this short time, you think you can convert me? No, because it wouldn't be me who converts you anyway, King Agrippa. It has to be the Lord. And as brilliant as this is by the Apostle, It has no bearing on his soul. It's rolling off his back. He's more concerned about retaining the dignity of his position as a Jewish king and an expert in Judaism than he is about the destiny of his own eternal soul. That, again, is insanity. I like what Alexander McLaren said here. He was a petty kinglet permitted by the grace of Rome to live and to power as if he were the real thing. I just thought this was well put. And yet he struts and claps his wings and crows on his little molehill as if it were a mountain. Me, a Christian? The great Agrippa, a Christian? I think he captures the attitude well there. The gospel is the great leveler, folks. It's level. Don't let position, intellect, how long somebody thought you were a Christian so you're not going to act like you don't understand that these truths should be affecting you right now in your heart as they're coming down from the Word of God. We're all the same there. We're all completely, utterly, wretchedly depraved sinners apart from Christ. We all need Him the same way in the same amount. He's letting that pride prevent it. All sinners have fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Romans 5.12. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. That's it. The mesh couldn't get any more fine. We're all drawn in. We're all there. Hence, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians one twenty six. Therefore, there's, of all those saved, not many were powerful and not many were of noble birth. Right? Verse 29, and Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might come, become such as I am except for these chains. He could be saying that with a a slight but sincere smile. I wish you were just like me. Somebody who realized what true Judaism should produce if we believe what the prophets said. He has come exactly the way they said he'd come. There's no denying that. There's no greater historical evidence for any human This is the God-man that lived than Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. What do you do with that truth? Verse 30, Then the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. I'm out. I'm done with this. Can we do that here? Oh, you bet. Yeah, you bet. I'm done. They had withdrawn the saddest words of the entire story. They heard a clear, unobstructed view of Jesus Christ. There he was in the gospel presentation, and yet they failed to recognize or acknowledge him. Light of truth was presented to them clearly like a shaft from heaven, and they walked past, leaving them just as spiritually dead and blind as when they walked in. Chances are you'll hear more presentations of the gospel and of the word of truth. They're common in our culture. You'll hear it. But if you walk away from this one without grappling with the very specific and personal convictions that the author of our salvation has brought you, you've walked that much further away from the author of forgiveness and transformation. And his voice will grow more and more faint until all hope is gone and the voice is silenced altogether because you have said, I'm not hearing it. I'm not hearing it. His heart will not always strive with you. Your decision. I implore you to take seriously the words of Christ today. He's brought you conviction. Maybe it's getting more and more faint. There's a way you can stoke those fires again. You'll have an opportunity to pray. I suggest we all do that. Let's do that now. Father, we thank you so much. And Lord, we ask for your forgiveness for how we've decided to live our Christian life. When you've been faithful all along to show us the truth, to bring conviction, which helps for transformation, which brings us into greater Christ-likeness. Oh, help us, Lord when we're tempted to reject it, when we're tempted with scorn, we're tempted with anger, with bitterness, with a desire to reject. I pray now, Lord, that every heart that you have spoken to here today, whether here or over the Internet, you've spoken. You've spoken. And we make that clear because we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.